I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I'll begin reading at verse 17. Last time we looked at this passage, we were focusing on a different verse, verse 28, when we got to the commandment, thou shalt not steal. This evening we consider the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness, and we'll be looking particularly at verse 25. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17, if you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 1,161. Let us now hear God's word. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him And we're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word made his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation, I invite you to turn in the Forms and Prayers book at this time to page 250. Page 250, Lord's Day 43, speaks to the ninth commandment and God's will for us in the ninth commandment. I will ask the question in congregation, if this is the confession of your heart, please respond with the answer. What is God's will for you in the ninth commandment? That I never give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. Rather, I should avoid, under penalty of God's wrath, every kind of lying and deceit as the very works of the devil. And in court and everywhere else, I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it. 
and I should do what I can to defend and advance my neighbor's honor and reputation. This evening, congregation, we look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Put away, therefore, put away, having put away, falsehood. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Let us remember that the ninth commandment addresses man's attitude, man's heart and behavior toward his or her neighbor. But the commandments, the second table of the law, that focus horizontally between man to man, neighbor to neighbor, also reflect the character of God. I've been saying that quite often. Each commandment, commandments 5 through 10, reflect the character of God. And we as image bearers of God are called to reflect our creator in the way we interact and treat our neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Well, God forbids all forms of false testimony or false witness. This has language of a courtroom That when you go before a court and you are to give witness, you are to speak the truth and only the truth. And there's similarity between this commandment and the second commandment and the third commandment. Let us remember that the second table of the law addresses man's attitude toward his neighbor And in the ninth commandment, God forbids all forms of false testimony, which the catechism beautifully lays out for us in its teaching, its biblical teaching on the ninth commandment and how we are to honor and love God by obeying the commandments, the ninth commandments. Well, as I've said, the commandments reflect the character of God. Well, how does the ninth commandment reflect the character of God? Well, in this way. God is truth. God is truth. In Him there is no darkness, the Apostle will write, John, the Apostle John. There is no darkness found Him. There is no falsehood found in God. He is pure light, pure truth. That's why in preaching, that's why in church services, we emphasize the Word of God. When we speak, we should speak the words of God. Why? Because we need to hear truth. And God, who is the God of truth, communicates the truth through the living and active word of God. God is truth. And therefore, we are commanded to be truthful to our neighbor, reflecting the image and likeness of our Creator. And in this present evil age, the world promiscuously promotes falsehood, slander, gossip with impunity. It is astounding. We've had this conversation in the church office the past couple of weeks. It's been astounding how 
people can slander or gossip one another with, with impunity, without any consequence. We're in a political season, a heated season, where politicians can openly slander and lie about others, and it's okay. It's okay. Politicians from all stripes, all sides of the aisle, you name it, they all either are tempted to engage in it or are engaging in it. Character assassination. With social media, one's reputation can be torched and destroyed in a moment's notice because of falsehood. This is not so for the Christian. This ought not to be the way of the Christian. The way of the Christian is to take off or put off all forms of falsehood. That's the first point. And to put on Christ, the second point. To take off, put off all forms of falsehood and to put on Christ Jesus, our Lord. First, take off all forms of falsehood. Falsehood is characteristic of the old nature. Paul speaks of the new life in Jesus Christ. He speaks about new birth. According to God's mercy, being made alive in Christ, you are a new creation in Christ. Falsehood is characteristic of the old nature because falsehood runs deep in our hearts. Falsehood comes from the Greek, pseudos. That may sound familiar, pseudo. Falsehood, lie. And pseudos is characteristic of the old nature because every human being is born with a sinful nature, conceived and born in sin. And therefore, Scripture says that we are born children of wrath and every human being is born in Adam. In Adam. We are Adam's offspring, inherited Adam's sin which we call original sin, where we are guilty and polluted because of sin. And so in every human heart, we are born with the seed of every evil. Don't be deceived. You and I are born with the potential to commit every single evil under the sun. We have the inclination, the propensity, and desire to commit every sin, including falsehood. For example, a person may say, Pastor, I don't have a bitter bone in my body. Really? Not a joint? Not... Pastor, I don't have a hateful bone in my body. Really? 
Is that true? Pastor, I don't have a racist bone in my body. Really, we don't have the propensity to be bitter, hate-filled, racist? Really? There's only one who is holy and righteous and good, and his name is Jesus. Being born in Adam, we have the propensity and inclination. Now listen to what I'm saying carefully. The propensity and inclination to do all forms of evil. It may not be outwardly expressed, but the seed of original sin is in each and every one of us. Truth begins with God and speaks to the inner man to reveal to us who we really are by nature. And in our scripture reading, Paul enumerates many sins of the old man, old nature. In verses 17 to 19, ignorance, hardness of heart, calloused, giving themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And then if you go to chapter 5, verse 3, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which is out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So Paul enumerates what the old man is, who we are by nature. And falsehood too is characteristic of the old nature, the old man. And God's word exposes our hearts that we are a people of falsehood. And honestly, we're very good at explaining why we are not. Do you hear what I'm saying? We're very good at lying to ourselves. Let me ask you a question. Why do we lie? Why do we, why do we bear false witness? What is it about our nature that desires to speak untruths. Never understood that word, untruths. It's almost like a euphemism to me. What is it? Why do we lie? Why do we feel inclined to bear false witness against our neighbor? Why put it down into two categories? In your notes, self-preservation, self-interest. Self-preservation, self-interest. Self-preservation includes this, to avoid punishment. Boys and girls, you disobey mom or dad. You go to them, mom, dad, I didn't do it, but you really did. You're trying to what? Avoid punishment. Avoid consequence. Avoid discipline. Us adults do the same. We try to avoid the consequences or, or punishment of something that we've done. 
And so we try to preserve ourselves, our honor, our integrity. Or we try to preserve and protect others from punishment. These are ways in which self-preservation manifests itself in our lives. But self-preservation also is to protect oneself from physical harm, to save one's own skin, to save one's reputation, to avoid the appearance of failure. You're working for your boss and you did something wrong, and your boss approaches you, you don't want to let your boss down. But you lied. He asked you if you did something. You say, no, I didn't, but you did. Self-preservation. We don't want people to think less of us. We want people to think of us as as men or women of integrity, of honor. But this, this, friends, is what Paul tells us to put off. Put away, take off, and the metaphor is one of taking clothes off. In the morning, you take your pajamas off and you put on your clothes for the day. Take off falsehood. Take off the need to self-preserve and speak lies. Well, what about self-interest? This includes to get something unattainable. You You can't get something, and so you have to lie in order to get it. You have to bend the truth or manipulate the truth to get what you want. Someone may be passive aggressive in order to get what they want. Bending the truth in order for self-interest to be attained or to win others over, to avoid avoid embarrassment or awkward situations, or to exercise power over others by controlling the information that you have. Self-interest. This is what the Nazis did. This is what Goebbels did as the minister of propaganda for the Nazis. Tell people a lie enough times and they'll believe it. Proclaim falsehood enough times and they'll believe it. Why? For the self-interest of the Nazi party. For the German people. These are all forms of bearing false witness. And they're essentially driven by what? Pride, envy, jealousy, malice. Which 
are characteristic of who? The devil himself. The devil himself. Falsehood is the work of the devil. Falsehood is characteristic of the devil and his works. John chapter 8, verse 39. Jesus rebuked the Jews because they wouldn't believe his word and his works. And these religious leaders believed that they were God's offspring or God's people because they were Abraham's offspring. Jesus sharply rebuked them, saying, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. That is, they would believe Jesus. (laughs) They would believe, they would have faith as Abraham had faith. Jesus says, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and and the father of lies. Friend, think about that. Think about the implications of what Jesus is saying about falsehood in general and where it comes from. Yes, as Christians who are bought by the blood of Jesus, who are forgiven by Christ, yet we commit falsehood. That falsehood is from the pit of hell. And sometimes we think that we can casually go about lying. Using grace as an excuse to keep on doing that. The Catechism says, Rather, I should avoid, under penalty of God's wrath, every kind of lying, every kind of lying and deceit, as the very works of the devil. And in court and everywhere else, I should love the truth, speak it candidly and openly acknowledge it, and I should do what I can to defend and advance my neighbor's honor and reputation. God will hold all liars and the father of lies, the devil, accountable in the last day. God takes this seriously. He takes this very seriously. Please turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. Beginning at verse 8, chapter 21, verse 8. I'll begin at verse 6 to get some context here. 21, verse 6, and he said to me, It is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be as God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, pseudos, their portion will be in the lake 
that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Chapter 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Because falsehood is characteristic of the old nature. And as new creations in Christ take off the remaining falsehood in you, put it to death, because this is not the way of the Christian. Put on Christ. Take off falsehood and put on Christ. Secondly, truth is characteristic of the new nature. The new nature. The Apostle Paul urges the Ephesians and all Christians to put away or take off falsehood like you're taking off clothes and put on the righteousness of Christ. Put on Christ. We have learned and have been radically changed by the truth that is in Jesus. Put on Jesus daily in faith. By God's grace, we've been converted to Christ by the power of the Spirit. By God's grace, we have repented and believed in Jesus. And now God's truth is radically transforming our minds by the power of His Word and Spirit so that we may walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Lord, help me by Your grace to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to put off falsehood. And friends, confess that sin of falsehood. Name it. Bring it to remembrance before God. Lord, I sinned when I spoke falsehood to my neighbor, when I said such and such. Forgive me, O Lord. And preach the gospel to yourself that through Christ alone and by His grace you are forgiven. One of the characteristics of the new nature in Christ and if I may add, one of the marks of a true Christian is that the believer believes, speaks, and practices the truth. If you are a new nature, if you are a new creation, a new self in Jesus Christ, you begin to speak and believe and practice truth. Life is no longer about self-preservation or self-interest. And with God's help, we take off pride, envy, and jealousy daily, and we put on the new nature in Christ. Humility and compassionate hearts. And what does this mean? What does it mean? It means rejoicing with those who rejoice, mourning with those who mourn, celebrating those who excel in their work or in their academic studies or in their, their school work or in their labors or in their family life. You Live life together in such a way that truth is at the very core of the relationship. Truth is at the very core of the relationship. It means that we own up to our shortcomings, not lie about them, why we did them. No, but we own up to it. We own up to our faults. We own up to our weaknesses. We own up to our sins against our neighbor. The sin of falsehood.
That's what it is to put on Christ, is, is to acknowledge and confess it. And desire to speak truth. Truth in love. But take note, Paul says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members or parts one of another. Truth is characteristic of the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Every believer in Jesus Christ, every one of you who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ is part of the body. And truth must be incarnate in this body of Christ. Because each one of us are new men and women in Christ, new nature. And therefore it's imperative that each one of us believe, speak, and practice the truth among one another. The word members or parts conveys the meaning of an instrument of war, an instrument of a ship. These instruments are essential to the success of war, the success of a ship out in the sea. Well, each one of you is essential to the life of the church, the life of the body. Each one of us is a part and as a part of the body of Christ, truth must embody us. Because in the church, the truth builds us up. The truth brings order. The truth reveals sin. The truth provides the only way to move forward with hope and healing and reconciliation. It is the truth that is found in Jesus that makes the body of Christ what it is. With gratitude to God, we are to love the ninth commandment because God's will for us in the ninth commandment is to speak the truth in love to our neighbor, to one another. In your homes, children, are you practicing speaking the truth in the home with your parents? Spouses, are you speaking the truth with one another? Or are you fabricating, watering it down? Are you leading husbands by the truth? Is your heart gripped by the truth that is in Jesus? That you want to lead your family in the truth. Because we are Christ, we practice speaking the truth in love. We practice and love the ninth commandment. If you turn your notes over, there's some space there for applying scripture, applying the word. I have three points here to close. Very simple points, very difficult to appropriate in our lives, but we need to consider these things. Love truth, hate falsehood. Love truth, hate falsehood. Psalm 119 verse 163 says, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. 
I don't think we're appalled enough at falsehood. It seems that we are immune to it. We've maybe acquiesced to it. Or we've just brushed it aside. No, the Bible teaches us that we should hate falsehood. Children, if you're to hate anything, hate falsehood. Love the truth. Because the truth that is in Jesus sets you and me free. Secondly, practice the truth even when it hurts. Even if there are consequences, that's when it hurts. Own up to it. Own up to your boss. Own up to your dad or mom. Look, I'm sorry I did this. Because lying will perpetuate the problem. And you'll find yourself in deeper, deeper trouble. Practice the truth even when it hurts. For starters, don't sit with men of falsehood. Psalm 119 Verse 86, I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites, which is the echo of Psalm 1. What is being said there? Isn't the Christian call to be witness to the truth with men of falsehood, with the hope that they repent and believe in the Lord Jesus? Yes, absolutely. But what the psalmist is referring to is consorting with them, is, is you're in a position where you're following the Lord and in His truth, but then you're starting to entertain falsehood and men of falsehood. And then next thing you know, you find yourself sitting down with them. And then next thing you know, you find yourself giving an ear to them. And next thing you know, you find yourself using your hands to, to do what they do. That's what the psalmist is getting at. You're enticed. You and I become enticed to falsehood, that we consort with men of falsehood. The psalmist says, no. Practice truth, even when it hurts, even when everyone else wants to go the route of falsehood and gossip and slander, boys and girls in the hallways in school. When you hear someone talking about another person, talking lies and gossiping. Perhaps God is using you to put an axe to it and say, stop, this is not good. This is not what Christ wants of us. He wants us to speak the truth in love. As he says in chapter 5 of Ephesians, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth as a believer in Jesus Christ. Love truth, hate falsehood, practice the truth even when it hurts. Lastly, pray. Pray for God's grace and help to help you defeat the sin of falsehood, to put off falsehood and put on Christ. By way of example, I want to close this sermon with prayer. And so we're going to pray now that we may put off all forms of falsehood and put on Christ. Let's pray together. 
O Lord God, help us, O Lord, to put off pride and envy and slander and gossip. Grant me Your grace to view others more highly than myself. Help me to give due respect to my neighbor that I may speak gospel truth in love. That we may grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Lord God, give us insight and understanding into your truth, and may the truth dwell in our hearts deeply, that we may see our sin for what it is, confess our sin and our need for Jesus, and be proponents of truth. Declaring truth, speaking truth, practicing truth. That truth comes out of our mouth. Oh, Father, we pray that your grace and mercy would shower upon us, that we would be a people of truth the one who looks to the truth incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so may we, who are in Christ, dwelling in the truth, indeed speak the truth to our neighbor, Because we, O Lord, love you and desire to wholeheartedly obey you, not to merit our salvation, but because we love you and want to follow you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.